0: Welcome to the Rebel Educator Podcast, where we work to amplify the voices and ideas of changemakers in education. We talk with students, educators, and thought leaders who are questioning the status quo and resisting tradition in education. We have so many exciting things coming up for you in 2022, starting with our webinar From Concept to Creation, the weekend of February 5th and 6th. This is an opportunity for educators to create a project from any concept you want to explore. We'll walk through the Rebel Educator concept-driven project creation process so that you gain an understanding of how to weave subjects together, create an engaging entry event, and build an authentic experience that your students will love. Coming this summer, we will repeat this process in a more in-depth three-day workshop look for upcoming dates sharing soon if you're local to the san francisco bay area up academy our progressive elementary school is now enrolling for fall of 2022 and we'd love to have you watch for the rebel educator book launch coming in march of 2022 so welcome rebel educators to this episode of the rebel educator podcast Hello, everyone. I am here today with Chris Balm. Chris is an education dreamer and builder, driven by a belief that we all have far more potential than we realize. He has built and led educational organizations, including SPARC, a national nonprofit serving youth in disadvantaged communities, and Millennium School, a laboratory middle school in San Francisco, working to create and share new educational methods based on developmental science. He's currently founder and CEO of Argonaut, an organization dedicated to learners in the middle school years, which believes the heart of a good journey through adolescence is a trusted group of peers on a shared adventure. Chris also writes, speaks, and trains on education topics. Welcome, Chris. I'm so excited to talk with you today.
1: Thanks, Tanya. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: And Chris is actually right in the same town that I'm in, and we haven't met before this podcast. So I'm really intrigued to see the many ways that our paths have, you know, paralleled or potentially even crossed without us knowing it. Save. So you've spent the greater part of the last 20 years in education focused on middle school. What drew you to that middle school age group?
1: You know, I wish I could say that I just knew from early on that that was my jam, but it was a fair bit of happenstance. I think a lot of educators kind of have to take the windy path until they find their place. And for me, it was getting placed in a seventh grade classroom as a student teacher in science back in Philadelphia. And I don't think it was until then that I realized that that was the age for me when things had gone a little sideways. When I had started to check out of school, to mm-hmm. dread going there to not feel connected, feeling bored. And as I connected with my students, and this has just happened you know year over year ever since, I got to process some of my own journey through adolescence and realize, like I think that this could go a lot better than it did for me and then it does for a lot of people, particularly middle school, which seems to have the worst possible reputation of any part of the k twelve world. And there's something really interesting to me about that and and something that just seems to beg for change and new ideas. So that was enough to draw me in.
0: I substitute taught briefly when I lived in Colorado. And one of my first assignments was a seventh grade class teaching middle school. And after that, it was only a half day. After that afternoon half day, I realized that I was never going to be a middle school teacher.
1: Oh, no. <laughs> it's a hard entry point to start as a substitute that it makes the road a steep one.
0: Yeah, I had worked with teens and I had worked in high schools and worked with an alternative high school in Minneapolis. But that middle school class, yeah, they, they almost broke me that day. <laughs> no.
1: <laughs> That is, you know, one of the challenges and it relates to one of the beauties of middle school is they just, they have all these new abilities, you know, the way they can see through an adult or a peer and the words they can use in response are so powerful. They haven't always learned yet how to wield that power kindly.
0: Yeah. And that's part of the magic of the middle school teacher. And I think at that point for me, I was 22, just out of college. I was still in that middle ground of like, I'm not a peer, but I'm not an adult.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yep, I still feel that. (laughs) I just turned 40 this year, but I know what you mean.
0: Yeah. So in developing Millennium, you and your team spent three years researching educational methods and developmental science. So what did you learn through that exploration and how did that help to make Millennium new and different and innovative?
1: Yeah, I think one of the most important frames for this is that when you look at the neuroscience of when our brains are changing the most, there are two periods that are the most plastic, you know neuroplastic, as they might say, and, and that's early childhood and early adolescence zero to five and 11 to 16. And I think it's already a clear conclusion that early childhood is incredibly important, and there are more resources heading in that direction. But the awareness of early adolescence and how that really is when our, our brain completely rewires in a social context. I don't think there's as much awareness around that. And so when we set out to start a middle school, we wanted to really anchor ourselves in the developmental science of that age, not lumping middle school in with elementary, not seeing it as just a precursor to high school, but really saying this is a unique and incredibly important developmental stage. It's got its own developmental drives and dynamics. And probably the biggest developmental opportunity after early childhood to shape who we are and what we can do in the world. So that was more than enough uh, motivation for us to spend those three years diving deep. And, you know, there's so many things I could point to, but the heart of it is finding and creating a developmental framework for what we think the human potential of those middle school years really is. So beyond the academics, you know, deeper than that, what is most possible, what are middle schoolers most oriented to learning about and discovering in those years? And, you know, I could talk for 10 hours about that, but to sum it up very briefly, it's figuring out your authentic identity in a social world. So the question of who am I, it's figuring out how to relate to other people and new and more complex forms of relationships. So not only friendships, but being a leader in a group, being a follower in a group, repairing friendships, beginning to explore romantic relationships, all kinds of new social dynamics. And then finally, it's figuring out how to do things in the real world and all those ways that in middle school you start to feel like you're capable of more, finding outlets where you have more responsibility and independence. And so we designed the entire school around those three fundamental drives, those questions of who am I, how do I relate to others, and what will I contribute. And that led to nearly every aspect of the school being different than a typical middle school. The way we conceived of projects, I'm sure we can get more into that. The central importance of an advisory program uh, Mm -hmm. where you can really process what's going on in your social and emotional life. Um, That all came from that developmental framework.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask, like, this doesn't sound like you're moving from history and the bell rings and you go to math and the bell rings and you might spend 20 minutes in a homeroom. And then the bell rings and (laughs) this sounds like a different kind of framework. So can you shed some light on what that looks like? Like what's a day in the life of a millennium middle schooler?
1: Yeah, I'll start off by saying that I think a great middle school is a bit like a village where it's a community, lots of different things are happening, but it's small enough that you know every other single member. Uh, And there's something really fundamental about that, that When you're in a huge middle school that's got hundreds or even close to a thousand or more middle schoolers, you can't possibly know everyone. That's beyond the limits of most of our minds to feel like those are people we we are comfortable with. And Mm -hmm. when you're in that big of a setting, you're more likely to have a defensive attitude of how do I protect myself? That's where you see more bullying, more clicks. So first and foremost, the experience of a millennium student is knowing every other person in that building you know, it's about 90 students, another dozen, 15 adults, you can know all of them. And we start the day all together. So there's a morning meeting with a a large circle. Every single member of the community is there in eyesight of each other. And it's run by students, that meeting. So beginning with mindfulness, uh, open for announcements, a different student moderator each day. So once you start off with that sense of community, I see who's here. I'm kind of reconnected in this safe space then you can go off into your the adventure of the learning that will happen that day and at millennium uh, we call our core projects quests the spirit of a quest is to be quite different from how we think of a class when i think of a class you know in a traditional school it feels a little bit machine like i'm kind of going through the rhythms like you said the bell rings and on, i fill out the worksheets it's not very memorable There are many problems about it, but one is just that it's not really worth remembering. And it's why I think a lot of people don't remember much about their middle school academics because they're they're not memorable. We know now from neuroscience that we need emotion to be connected with the information we're working with in order to retain it, to put it into our long-term memory. So a quest is an adventure to try to answer a question in the course of which you'll learn about all kinds of different subjects in an interdisciplinary way so to give you one example of a favorite one it's one that is called um, can design make a difference and we looked at the crisis of homelessness and houselessness in san francisco and wondered could we imagine some type of housing solution down to the level of how would we design it how would it be insulated and wired how could it be mass manufactured and This is something very real for our schools. We're right in the center of the mission. We see that crisis on a daily basis. And students are responding from their real-life experience with ideas, generating a project, using all kinds of different academic disciplines, and then presenting that to an authentic audience. People who have lived the crisis of homelessness uh, or who are working to change it. So... That's the kind of cycle of learning that really animates us where you're plunging into an adventure with a clear outcome of some type of presentation to an authentic audience. There's more to say, but that's probably the central part of the flavor of a millennium day.
0: Yeah. Wow. I want to be a millennium student.
1: Thank you. I think a lot of us were there because we wanted to relive in some way our our middle school years.
0: Yeah, I I remember coloring in different countries on a world map in middle school social studies. Like, that's one of the memorable experiences for me. It was not solving homelessness in one of the major U.S. cities.
1: Yeah, we really, I think it's, we underestimate adolescents in all kinds of ways in this society. And I think that's one of them, giving them worksheets when they could be working on real problems.
0: Absolutely. Students are so capable. If we give them the opportunity and give them access to experts and access to adults who can help them facilitate how to learn and how to move forward with the ideas that they have. Exactly. There's definitely a huge social emotional piece there. When you look at building community, when you look at every student having the ability to know everybody else in that room and morning circle or morning meeting. And you've moved into launching Argonaut, which is, you know, a social emotional driven business working with middle schoolers. So are you, are you still involved with Millennium? And how has that evolved into the work of Argonaut?
1: Yeah. So I learned at Millennium, and I've seen this in other schools, that when you have a strong advisory program, you know, a small group that's consistent where kids feel really safe to talk about what's most of interest, that becomes the heart of the school. Uh, it's the place where they feel the most connected. It's the place where they can clear up the social or emotional obstacles that otherwise would really slow down their academic progress. And absolutely, that was the lesson from Millennium, you know, one of many. So when I realized that I wanted to move on, it became clear to me that there are a couple things from this laboratory environment that can really be shared more widely. And advisory was top of the list. It's an amazing thing that in most middle and high schools in the US, there is a time for advisory already there in the incredibly precious, Mm -hmm. you know, compressed minutes that we have. And I think most schools would admit they don't use it that deeply. You know, as you said, it becomes kind of a homeroom time or read the announcements or talk amongst yourselves for 20 minutes when that could be the heart of school, the place where you feel that connection and unconditional acceptance. So long way to answer your question. That's what led me to do Argonaut next. And the idea of Argonaut is to create models that work for advisory online and offline. So it was online first, not by design, but because the pandemic happened right as we were starting (laughs) and we plunged in like everybody else. And actually, frankly, I was pleasantly surprised by how much connection you can still create through Zoom groups and even some surprising advantages of them for middle schoolers who can sometimes benefit from being away from their friend group uh, in a different group of peers from all over where they can have more freedom of identity and a chance to experiment with who they are. So we do online groups and then we also consult with schools who are trying to deepen their advisory practice and really give their teachers the skills and the practice to feel confident facilitating these spaces. Because it, it is quite a different skill than most teachers are trained for, at least in typical teacher training. But it's not a mysterious skill. It's something that can absolutely be developed. So that's the other big focus.
0: It's one of the things that I've talked with a couple of different guests about. Um, And also I was able to lead a workshop last weekend on leading with empathy. And as we're talking about how do we do that for ourselves? How do we as school leaders show empathy to all of our educators that they in turn can do that with their students, right? How do we model that? But also looking at how do we build that social emotional intelligence of our educators. Because as you said, it's not something that's generally taught in school or in a teacher credentialing program. So unless that educator has gone out on their own as a human and said, I want to make myself better in this way and sought coaching or sought a group or sought you know, that type of experience, it's just not something a lot of them have. It's not something a lot of us have. It's not taught in high school. It's not, you know. Right.
1: Right. I think it's really a relatively new idea in general, that this is kind of a, a measurable and discrete form of intelligence. And also that it is something teachable. And to me, that's kind of the huge aha and key insight from this, that it's not just a trait that you end up with a certain amount of emotional intelligence and a certain amount of social skills. Like virtually all of that is teachable. And that is one of many reasons why we need to evolve school to include this.
0: Yeah. And I think it's something that a lot of us still believe that it is just a trait. Oh, like you were born with this or, oh, he's so social. You know, even from a young age, we tell kids, oh, she's shy or she's social or and they start hearing these messages, you know, long before they make it into the school door. Yeah. And then that sticks with them. And until you you know, realize that these are learned traits. Like you can be social. I'm an introvert, but I can be social. But I'm one of those kids, like you were talking about, you know, over COVID suddenly had this opportunity to connect with all sorts of different people all over the world and and grow and learn that way, which just wasn't there before, which is one of the really cool things that happened. But you launched a company during COVID based on connection when everybody was being held apart.
1: Yeah. And particularly middle schoolers, that is the age where our desire to be around peers is probably the highest of any point in life. You know, developmentally, so much of the learning of that age is about figuring out who you are when you're with others. So that drive is strong <laughs> for connection, whether you're cooped up at home or not. And in a way, I think that boosted us. They were so cut off from other forms of connection, that even though Zoom is a little weird and strange and unfamiliar, there were many people willing to give it a try and and who found connection through it, surprisingly.
0: So what do you see as as the future? What do you see moving forward? What's kind of your ideal space for Argonaut or the next millennium or the next quest? What's your next quest?
1: Mm, Oh, thank you for putting it in that frame. Personally, for me, I think it's writing. I've been a lifelong writer just for my own processing, frankly, and I've been keeping journals since I was in middle school and trying to make sense Mm -hmm. of what was happening and always wanted to be able to put some of these ideas into a book. So I think maybe more than once, I think there's a book I'd love to create that's for middle schoolers about how to really take control over your own growth, uh, not be passive and just process through, but really... Choose experiences that help you figure out who you are and what you can do. And then there's another book that I would love to one day write that is about the adult experience of accompanying someone through transformation. You know, if your child is plunging into the transformation of puberty and middle school, or your student is, it's going to be an intense experience. Their transformation will also bring things up for you. Mm -hmm. They'll behave in ways that may be really surprising. But if we understand what's going on developmentally, then we can trace every single behavior we see back to those core developmental needs. And I think it can really ground us, whether as a parent or an educator. So my dream is to put some or all of those ideas into some or several books one day in the future, which uh, you know, I hope will get out there and be of use.
0: Yeah, I need both of those books.
1: <laughs> Thank you. And
0: from having a group of fifth graders who just went through puberty ed in our school that started out puberty ed just with the question, literally, of what is puberty? Many of them had never heard the word, didn't know what they were in for.
1: <laughs> Good place to begin.
0: Yeah. And then watching, you know, what the next several years are going to entail, but also like, how do you choose those experiences? Like, this is something I was literally talking about with a girlfriend and a call just before this. How do we choose the right experiences? I feel like. So much of the time we're throwing rubber at the wall and seeing what sticks. Like, how do I become more intentional about the square on the wall and making sure that I'm hitting the right spot? Absolutely. We need that book.
1: Thank you. I (laughs) I need to write it now. (laughs) Yeah, I I really think that we need those developmental frames. When we don't understand development deeply, first of all, we're likely to take things personally as the adults involved. and think it's our something's our fault. We don't know how to respond. And second, we, we tend to default to academic standards only. It's like, I don't know what to do with all that's going on, but I know I got to get through the standards, so let's just focus on that. And I think that's a real missed opportunity. Academic standards are important, but in my book, they're really secondary. First, help someone with their developmental tasks. That is growing into their full potential as a human. Then the academics will flow much more easily when they're meeting their developmental needs. It might be the need for belonging or the need to feel that you're contributing something valuable to people other than you. So that's where I'd love to see more attention.
0: Yeah, we all need to build those relationships. And especially at that age, like kids need to feel safe and they need to feel belonging and they need to feel that connection before they can dive into any real work. You know, you can learn long division in a lot of different settings, nothing against math, yeah. but To really dig deeper into deeper learning and how do we transfer that knowledge and what does all of these things mean to me? And what does long division mean to me in my life, right? To ask those bigger questions, you have to first lay that framework and understand, or at least be building an understanding of yourself. And young people need adults to help facilitate that journey. And a lot of us don't know how to do it.
1: Yeah. I think a lot of us still have things that are unprocessed. Probably all of us from our own journey through that time, and that you know, as we said earlier, will will get brought up in the course of this. One of the reasons I think it's so essential for both parents and educators of adolescents to have supportive groups where they are processing what the experience has brought up. In a way, that's mm-hmm. one of the gifts that if we can stay with someone who's transforming, we begin to transform as well. And We'll actually have a chance to heal some of the things that maybe went a little sideways in our own adolescence, because for all of us, there were parts of it that went sideways. And I think that is the gift from this for the adults.
0: Switching gears a little bit, I have an elementary school, and I love to hear what people remember from elementary school. So, can you share a story that you remember back from your elementary school years?
1: Definitely. The first one that comes to mind is not actually from inside the school building, but outside the school building. I moved around a lot in elementary, but in one of the places I lived, I lived near the school. And my happiest moments were after school or on weekends, I would build model rockets and launch them from the school playgrounds. In retrospect, probably not exactly allowed. But the freedom I felt with that hobby is, I wouldn't have put it this way then, but I think it's what I would have loved in school, where I was tinkering, it felt ambitious, Uh, there was a very concrete kind of product at the end of this rocket that sometimes would take off and sometimes would not, and sometimes would go sideways or fall apart. Mm -hmm. That, and I had a good friend where we would build these rockets together and always be concocting new and crazy ways to launch them. That, to me, was probably the most memorable learning. And funny that you mentioned long division. The most painful thing I remember from that year, fifth grade, was struggling with long division. And the most fun thing was building that rocket.
0: Which just shows that we need more memorable learning experiences in schools. (laughs) Where we can facilitate that and we're not trying to blow each other up with rockets.
1: Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. I just think we... You know, sometimes it feels like we're not allowed to say this, I think, because we're supposed to talk about rigorous academics, but you could really boil down a lot of the purpose of school as creating positive memories, things that will lastingly influence you for the better.
0: Yeah, well, it should be fun. It should be engaging. It should be interesting. It should give us a chance to discover ourselves and the people around us and who we all are. Exactly. So are these like dynamite rockets or is this like vinegar and baking soda rockets?
1: You know, it's a company that I think is still around as I just, I bought something last year for one of my kids called Estes, I think. And it had this little rocket engine in the back and you triggered it with an electrical spark. Nice, And it was so fun. (laughs) (laughs) It's probably a little dangerous, but definitely the most fun and memorable learning for me from that age.
0: All right. Well, when you're not shooting rockets, how can people get in touch with you?
1: Uh, probably through Argonaut. Uh, Argonaut Argonaut.school is the website and you can contact me through there, learn about what we're up to. There's some free resources on there and we're working to put more of our curriculum online so that anyone who's tinkering with advisory can borrow some of these tools.
0: Excellent. Thank you so much for your time, Chris. This has been a great conversation.
1: Thanks for having me. My pleasure.
0: Thank you everyone for listening to the Rebel Educator Podcast. I'd invite you to check out rebeleducator.com where you can see all of our upcoming workshops, webinars, and professional development opportunities. UpacademySF.com where you can see our current progressive elementary school in action. And if you've enjoyed this episode, we'd love for you to leave a review and rate our show so that others can find it and love us too. Keep resisting tradition, Rebel Educators.